Welcome to Day by Day, the verse-by-verse Bible teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel in Elk Grove Village, Illinois, with Pastor Phil Ballmeyer. We're glad you've joined us, and we look forward to spending time again in the Word of God together. We also invite you to stay tuned at the end of today's broadcast for information about additional studies and resources. Thanks again for being with us. We can learn a great many things in the furnace of persecution. We find out what we're made of and also just how willing we are to let God use His methods to build us as He will. Pastor Phil delves into the subject today as he looks at the Church of Smyrna in Revelation chapter 2. Then followed by the Roman Catholic Church that began to persecute the true Christians, the faithful remnant of God, again trying to stamp them out because they refused to pledge allegiance to Rome as Lord. And what do we have today? What religious group who claims to be serving God is now actively involved in killing Christians around the world? Islam. There has always been those people who believed they were doing God's service by wiping out Christians, by persecuting the church. Now, the persecution of the church of Smyrna really reached its climax about 50 years after this letter, after this letter, with the execution of a very elderly, very godly bishop of Smyrna called Polycarp. Polycarp was about 100 years old when he was executed. And the Jews, the unbelieving Jews, played a major role in his execution. And history records for us what happened. And I pulled this uh, from a document that was written back at that time where eyewitnesses actually recorded what had happened. I'm going to give you, just give you parts of it. It's pretty lengthy. But it records how that polycarp, after he was arrested and brought into the stadium of, in Smyrna, it says this, and I'm quoting, And when he came near, the proconsul asked him whether he was Polycarp. On his confessing that he was, the proconsul sought to persuade him to deny Christ, saying, Respect to thy old age. You're an old man. What do you, I don't want to kill you. Renounce Christ. And other similar things according to their custom, such as, Swear by the fortune of Caesar, repent, and say, Away with the atheist. I renounce Christianity. And I will set thee at liberty. Reproach Christ, the proconsul said to him. Polycarp declared these famous words. He said, Eighty and six years I have served him, and he never did me any injury. How then can I blaspheme my king and my savior? The proconsul then said to him, I have wild beasts at hand. To these I will cast thee, except thou repent. But he answered, Call them then. For we are not accustomed to repent of what is good in order to adopt that which is evil. you imagine this? But again the proconsul said to him, I will cause thee to be consumed by fire, seeing thou despisest the wild beast, if thou wilt not repent. The polycarp said, Thou threatenest me with fire which burneth for an hour, and after a little while is extinguished, but art ignorant of the fire of the coming judgment and of eternal punishment reserved for the ungodly. But... Why tarriest thou? Bring forth what thou wilt. Hey, if this is what you want to do, let's get it over with. Bring it on. 
This then was carried into effect with greater speed than it was spoken, the multitudes immediately gathering together wooden sticks out of the shops and baths, the Jews especially according to custom, eagerly assisting them in it. So they began to gather all the wood to burn this guy at the stake. And of course, the unbelieving Jews would instigate the whole thing, were <laughs> zealously going about, you know, gathering up wood to burn this guy. They hated Polycarp. He represented, represented everything that they hated. He was a very godly man. After they gathered the wood in a pile, Polycarp willingly went to the stake. It says they did not nail him to the stake, but simply bound him because he was willing to die. And he placing his hands behind him and being bound like a distinguished ram taken out of a great flock for sacrifice and prepared to be an acceptable burnt offering unto God, looked up to heaven and said, O Lord God Almighty, the Father of thy beloved and blessed Son, Jesus Christ, by whom we have received the knowledge of thee, the God of angels and power, and of every creature, and of the whole race of the righteous who live before thee, I give thee thanks that thou hast counted me worthy of this day and this hour, that I should have a part in the number of thy martyrs, in the cup of thy Christ, and to the resurrection of eternal life, both of soul and body, through the incorruption imparted by the Holy Ghost, among whom I may be accepted this day before thee as a fat and acceptable sacrifice, according as thou, the ever-truthful God, hast foreordained, lest hast revealed beforehand to me and now hast fulfilled wherefore also i praise thee for all things this guy's praising the lord for allowing him the privilege to die for jesus christ and there's a big crowd gathered listening to this as he's praying i bless thee i glorify thee along with the everlasting and heavenly jesus christ thy beloved son with whom to thee and the Holy Ghost be glory both now and, and to all coming ages. Amen. When he had pronounced this amen and so finished his prayer, those who were appointed for the purpose kindled the fire. And as the flame blazed forth in great fury, we, to whom it was given to witness it, beheld a great miracle and have been preserved that we might report to others what then took place. For the fire, shaping itself into the form of an arch, like the sail of a ship, when filled with the wind, encompassed as by a circle about the body of the martyr. They lit the fire, and all of a sudden the flames just came up around him and formed a big arch around Polycarp, and he appeared within, not like flesh which is burnt, but as bread that is baked, or as gold and silver glowing, in a furnace. His flesh didn't really burn, he began to glow. Moreover, we perceive such a sweet odor coming from the pile as if frankincense or some, or some such precious spices had been smoking there. At length, when those wicked men perceived that his body could not be consumed by the fire, they commanded an, ex, uh, an executioner to go near and pierce him through with a dagger. And on his doing this, there came forth a dove and a great quantity of blood so that the fire was extinguished. He died from loss of blood, not because he was burned to death. So much blood came out that it extinguished the fire. And all the people wondered 
that there should be such a difference between the unbelievers and the elect. You know what they were saying? Everybody in that crowd marveled because there was something different about this man. They knew he was a Christian. And the way he faced death and the miracle that God did at his death, it was a tremendous witness to everybody there who were unsaved. They saw the difference between unbelievers and Christians and the way they lived and now in the way they died. As someone has said, one of the early church fathers, I think it was Tertullian, said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. God has always used the blood of his people to spread the gospel. As people in the world see, people who are willing to die for what they believe, they are drawn to something like that. There was a song years ago. Maybe some of you can help me with this. I don't know. I've never forgotten the song, but I forgot the title. Going back about 15 or 20 years. It was real popular for a while back then on Christian radio. And the gist of it was this. Forty Christians had been arrested by the Roman government for their faith and condemned to die. So Rome took them out onto a frozen lake in the dead of winter, made them strip down, made them sit on the ice until they froze to death. At any time, if any of them would have recounted their, or recanted their faith, they would have been set free. And as the song goes on about these 40 Christians who were facing death, at one point, it talks about one person who got up and walked off the ice, signifying that he had recanted his faith. And just about the time you're thinking, well, one person, you know, out of the 40, recanted. You still have 39 faithful Christians that were willing to die for their faith. All of a sudden, the song takes a dramatic turn, and one of the Roman soldiers that was standing there took his clothes off and stood with the Christians. He was so moved by the witness of these people who were willing to die, he converted on the spot. Now, that is a reality. That, that happened all the time back then. As Christians went to their deaths singing praises to God, it was amazing. The story of a father with his little boy who were condemned to die by the Roman government and were led out into the Colosseum. And as they began to open the cages for the wild animals to come to eat them alive, the little boy looks at his father and says, Father, is it going to hurt? He says, only for a moment, son. And then we'll enter into everlasting joy. And the Romans saw this. These people, they had nothing to live for. All they lived for was pleasure and sex and gluttony and, and all these things. They had nothing to live for. And they saw these people who were willing to die for what they believed. It was a powerful witness. Well, then Jesus moves to the exhortation in verse 10. He said, Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. He said to them, do not fear those things which you are about to suffer. The Greek is literally, stop being afraid. Stop being afraid. Hey, look, these people were human beings. They weren't robots. They were not not afraid of death. They were afraid of dying. You can understand that, right? As Christians, we're not afraid of death. We know where we're going to be after we die. But let's be honest, we're a little nervous about dying. Because dying involves pain many times. 
But they weren't immune from fear. They were afraid to die, the pain of death. And it's okay to be afraid to die. But make sure that your love and commitment to Jesus is greater than your fear of man. That's the secret. It's not that Christians are totally immune from fear. It's just that our love for Jesus and our commitment to him is greater than our fear of what man can do to us. Jesus said, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison. Okay, don't be afraid. The devil is about to throw some of you into prison. That's interesting to me. Jesus acknowledges that this persecution was from the devil, right? Now the question is, why didn't these Christians in Smyrna just simply rebuke the devil and bind the persecution? Again, too many Christians today get their theology from the TV and not from the Word of God. Folks, nowhere in the book of Acts or any of the epistles or the Gospels did anybody ever bind the devil in the face of persecution. Nobody ever said, I rebuke you, Satan. Nobody ever used verbal formulas to bind the devil. You know, I bind the persecution. I rebuke you, Satan. What is Christians throw around these little phrases. What is Satan supposed to say? Oh, I'm rebuked. And if you can bind the devil, why do you lose him? Does it not slip or something that he gets out? Christians are always binding the devil. He's always running around giving me a hard time. I mean, if you're going to bind him for me, will you do it right? Look, the reason we don't see these things in the Scriptures is because it's not true. It's not true. First of all, the devil can't do anything to us but what God allows. And if God allows it, it's for a purpose. And therefore... If I try to bind the devil, I'm trying to bind the purposes of God, really. This is the will of God, your sanctification. It's the will of God that we suffer for the cause of Christ. There's two reasons. First of all, suffering purifies us. Remember what Peter said? How that the testing of our faith produces within us a faith that is more precious than gold, which is tested by fire. Tribulation, persecution, is a way of purifying our faith making it stronger. But it also has a way of putting us on display that the world around us can also see that, you know what, what we have is real. And that whatever it takes, I'm going to be faithful to my Savior. And the world picks up on that, as we said. The blood of the martyrs is the seat of the church. Always has been, always will be. He talks about this, the devil's going to, you're going to have tribulation ten days, Jesus said. There's a lot of debate as to what this means. I mean, people have debated for centuries regarding this 10 days. Is John really speaking of 10 literal days? Or is he talking about uh, 10 years of persecution? Or is he talking about 10 different Roman emperors that persecuted the church in 10 different periods of the church age? It is true that in the first three centuries of the Christian church, there were 10 Roman emperors who severely persecuted the church, killing between 5 and 7 million Christians. That's true. The problem is, it would have begun with Nero, who was the first to persecute the church, and he reigned from 64 to 68 A.D. John didn't even get this letter dictated to him from Jesus until 95 A.D. And even then, as you read the letter, Jesus is talking about the persecution being yet future. So I have a problem with that particular interpretation that is talking about 10 different Roman emperors, starting with Nero all the way to Diocletian, uh, who reigned 10 years from 303 to 313 A.D. was the worst of all of them. I understand that, that that truly happened, but it doesn't seem to fit. 
Others say, well, the the term 10 days is really a Hebrew idiom that really is used um, by the Jews to to denote a, a limited period of time. Something that won't go on indefinitely, but is limited in scope. I can see that. I think that when you come to a passage and it doesn't, it's not really clear what the interpretation is, go with the, go with the literal interpretation. I just right now think the best way to understand this would be to just uh, imagine that Jesus is speaking literally here, that this church at one point went through ten literal days of horrible persecution. It does teach us one thing, though. It was limited. That is true, right? It was limited. Even as Peter said, look... Right now we're going to face persecution as the people of God. Don't think it's strange concerning the fiery trials that have overtaken you, as some count it strange. But cast all your cares upon him. He cares about you. And know this. Our adversary can go about all he wants like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. That's true. Resist him steadfast in the faith. Doesn't say rebuke him. Doesn't say bind him. Resist him. And know this, Peter said, God is only going to let you suffer for a while. But after he's going to establish, strengthen, perfect, and settle you. So it's a controlled environment. Our God lets the devil get at us a little bit here and there for a period of time to teach us things, to draw us close to him, to purify our faith, to put us on display for the world to see. But then he backs off, pulls the leash back, so the devil can't get at us. And for a while he just lets us kind of rest. He settles us down. You know, you've been through periods like that, right? Kind of nice. To kind of, things get smooth for a while. Oh, then here comes the tribulation again. You're dealing with it for a while, and things smooth out. That's just the way it is. He said in verse 10, But be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. Look, there is no promise in this letter that they would escape their suffering. Do you see it there? Be faithful until death. Jesus never promised them. If they had enough faith, they could escape this. If they were better Christians, they wouldn't be going through this. He gave them no promise that he was going to allow them to escape this persecution. In fact, it was going to lead to their death. God never gives any of his children that kind of promise. He simply admonishes us to endure the persecution or the tribulation and to be faithful to the end no matter what. No matter what. And again, the church at Smyrna had no rebuke, no words of correction, only a promise of a victor's crown, which was essentially a trophy that God was going to give them. It's kind of interesting that Smyrna, as I said, was a very beautiful city, and you had this Mount Pagus, and all around this mountain were these pagan temples, very beautiful. They tell me that if you were approaching the city by sea and you saw this Mount Pagus rising above the city and all these temples around it from a distance, it looked like a beautiful crown. Also, they say that in the city, the pagan worshipers wore crowns. The good citizens and victorious athletes were given crowns. But Jesus is saying here, folks, the only crown that matters is the crown that I give you as you are faithful to me, which is the crown of life doesn't matter what man gives to us. It doesn't matter the accolades, the, reward, the uh, awards, all the commendations. I could care less, you know. I see these people on TV, and Hollywood's got everything you can imagine. They've got the Tonys and the Grammys and the Emmys and the Oscars. and They're always patting themselves on the back and handing out trophies for things. Jesus said, none of that matters. 
The only rewards that matter are the ones that I give for faithfulness to me because they are eternal. And that brings us finally to the promise in verse 11 where Jesus says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. He said, he who has an ear. And he's talking about spiritual ears. All Christians have been given spiritual ears by the Holy Spirit. And so, in a very real way, these letters apply to all of us. Not just to Smyrna or Ephesus or Pergamos. They apply to all of us. And Jesus says here, he who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. Look, as he said earlier, you know, be faithful unto death. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 10, verse 28. He said, and don't fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. We read something like this in, in uh, this letter to Smyrna, and we think, well, you know, the church went through a lot of persecution in those early years, but it's not like that anymore. We say that because we're Americans, and we don't experience persecution. Do you realize in the last, well... In the 20th century and now into the 20th, 21st century, more Christians have been killed in the world than all the previous 19 centuries combined. Do you realize that? More Christians are being killed every day right now than they ever have been. But Jesus said, look, to the overcomer, I promise that you will not be hurt by the second death. We're going to study the second death in detail when we get to Revelation 20. But D.L. Moody put it like this. He who was born once will die twice, but he who was born twice will die once. And what he was saying is this. If you're born once, and that's all, you're only born into this world physically, you're not, you're a child of Adam, and Adam all die. So you're going to die twice. You're going to die once physically, and then you're going to die once spiritually as you're the second death where your soul and spirit are cast into the lake of fire for eternity. However, right now, on the earth, if you're born twice, you're born once physically, and then once again, spiritually, you're born again of the Spirit, you're only going to die once, and that's physical. And if you're raptured, you won't die at all. And we're pulling for that, aren't we? Amen? That's my, that's my vote. I'm, I want to go into rapture. I don't want to taste death at all. But the idea is that those who overcome, and overcoming is just Jesus' way of saying, those who are true believers, how do we overcome the world, John asks? Through our faith. Through our faith. When you really believe in Christ, you are called an overcomer. Because in Christ, you're victorious. And all those who overcome, who have received Christ now, they're not going to be ever cast into the lake of fire. We will never see condemnation. Remember what Paul said in Romans 8.1? All those who are in Christ shall not ever be condemned with the wicked. And if you... Want to get into this in detail? Get the CDs from Revelation, uh, Romans 5 and chapter 8. Because we went into this in quite a lot of detail. But we think that most of the persecution that Christians have experienced is behind us. It isn't. It's here right now in different parts of the world. We are admonished not to forget the suffering church around the world, but to pray for our brothers and sisters. As I said, you know, I read reports from India, parts of northern Africa where Christians are being killed, tortured, persecuted, Muslim countries, 
Today, somebody was praying during our prayer time before service for the Christians in the Gaza Strip. Their life must be a living hell. To live amongst radical Islamic fundamentalists who hate Christians, every day your life is on the line for your faith. We need to pray for these brothers and sisters because we are connected to them. And know this, the time of persecution might be coming here. I think it probably is going to be coming more and more. But even now, we need to ask God, Lord, forgive us for being so... Gosh, I mean, it seems that when I read these stories, guys like Polycarp, and even Christians today who are facing death, with such faith and commitment, I'm ashamed. You know, I get a little verbal abuse and I'm, you know, all discouraged. These people are really putting their life on the line. May God help us to... Stand up for Jesus, you know, and to speak the truth in love, you know, not to be ashamed. The world isn't ashamed to tell you all its ungodly philosophies and jokes and uh, all the garbage that they're into. Why can't we stand up and go, look, I'm not into that anymore. I'm into Jesus and share your faith. Amen. So may God give us grace to understand that persecution is just part of the Christian life. And we need to pray that God would give us grace, I think, more and more to be able to handle it uh, as it comes. You've been listening to Day by Day, the verse-by-verse Bible teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel in Elk Grove Village, Illinois, with Pastor Phil Ballmeyer. Today's message, as well as many other studies, can be heard and downloaded free of charge from our website at daybydayradio.org. From our website, you can contact us, order resources, read Pastor Phil's blog, and also subscribe to our daily podcast. We hope you'll pay us a visit. And remember to join us for Day by Day, Monday through Friday, here on this station. Thanks again for listening, and please join us again next time as we continue to study God's Word. Until then, may the Lord richly bless you and guide your steps as you walk with Him day by day. Day by day.